0: On today's episode, I have Teresa Brenneman, who's a transformational guide who helps spiritually curious and purpose-driven individuals step into their authenticity, let go of subconscious beliefs, and heal physical pain through emotional release. Today, we talk about so many things. Uh, We talk about uh, her eating disorders from bulimia to orthorexia to anorexia and how she healed herself through that. We also get into how to find your purpose. She said some really fascinating things about finding your purpose in life. We even delve into the 10 principles of intuitive eating. So many people who struggle with suicidality have eating disorders, anorexia being one of them. And so we dig into that. And like I said, how Teresa healed herself through that. We even talk about the type of yoga that's best for type A individuals and people who are struggling with addiction. There is a yoga specifically for you if you want to listen in. And then we also get into some relationship um, intimacy tips and tools and how to improve the connection, uh, whether you're trying to meet someone or if you are with someone. uh, We get into that towards the end of the episode is really powerful stuff. I think it's, it's really going to help people and help you uh, connect better, not only with who you're with, but also if you're alone, connect with yourself better. We, we talk about the power of curiosity and how to use that in, in a relationship. Um, and then in, in part of that, we talk about what the real problem is. A lot of arguments uh, are between two people, but we talk about what you really should be focusing your energy on. And with that said, if you haven't yet, go check out thrivewithleo.com for one on one coaching with yours truly. And let's get into the episode. <laughs> Fant, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. I'm a little full. My, my girl ate, she made some banana nut muffins. And, uh, you know, I figure since. They were, um, what, what is it? What kind of flour does she use? Uh, not, not sugar-free. What is that? Uh, gluten-free.
1: Oh, gluten-free. Yeah.
0: I was like, why? That means I could have like all of them right now, right? (laughs) Like they're they're basically vitamins, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. It's healthy when it's (laughs) gluten-free. Makes it automatically healthy. i'm glad she's on the banana bread train i feel like everybody's been making that i'm waiting for my bananas to ripen so uh,
0: what are you growing bananas or did you buy them
1: <laughs> I bought them but they have to be super ripe no like, you wanna... what no
0: no the, listen this this is the this is one of the biggest uh i i, I blame uh the internet and <laughs> <laughs> uh and the right wing no uh all their fault the unripened bananas actually are the most nutrient dense.
1: Interesting. The, the
0: more ripe they are, the sweeter they are. So they taste better, but they actually uh and I don't know if there's a statistical significance in the reduction of nutrient density in bananas as they ripe. I don't I don't know like if they go from like Having eighty three percent vitamin A to eighty two percent, or from eighty three to thirty eight. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, like
0: I don't know what the numbers are. So you go ahead and enjoy your bananas however you prefer, <laughs> Teresa. I
1: mean, I don't love them super ripe, but for cooking, I have found in baked goods a nice ripe banana is where it's at.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. In my smoothie, <laughs> like that—that's the foundation of all smoothies. Yeah. and uh overnight oats like don't don't even don't even put it in front of me unless unless <laughs> there's a banana in there like yeah 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 you, you just,
1: i support that
0: yeah. uh i'm excited to have you on today
1: i'm super excited to be on i was just listening to the episode with jesse may i love her
0: she's insane
1: she's so funny
0: she's untamed all right so talk about a lion like right? pure lioness <laughs> Un, uncaged, unhinged, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'm excited to talk to you because you two, uh, are, you have the website How to Be alive. Well, I talk because we're already recording, Teresa. We're in this Good. like I'm like, about like, it. like like we're in the mud. We got some dirt <laughs> on us already. Uh, the, the the clothes that were clean, it, it's all it, it's uh, we we've destroyed everything. The parents have only been gone for two minutes, and we already got them we're already getting calls from the neighbors. I'm uh, about it. <laughs> what uh so your website how to be a lion, your life coach. Wh- why a lion? Why not like a a, 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 a cougar or <laughs> a, 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 a bunny rabbit or Yeah,
1: dinosaur? so I just looked I mean, it could be all of those things. You could really be whatever you want. That's really what I help people do is be whatever the fuck they want. Um, But yeah, I just love the symbolism behind lions. I've had a lion tattoo on my thigh for several years now, and I didn't really even know why I got it. it. The animal just called to me. I was like, I feel like it's my spirit animal. So when I was working with my business coach to come up with a name and branding and all of that, um... She had me do like a Pinterest board, and I kept putting pic- pictures of lions on it. <laughs> and she's like, uh, "I feel like you should have something to do with a lion because you're really into lions." I'm like, "I am. They're just so badass." So I started actually looking up like the spiritual meaning of them and the symbolism. And what what really stood out to me, I read this thing that was. Lion energy. It teaches you how to be the ruler of your own world. And I was like, well, that's exactly what I help people do. So boom, be a lion
0: ruler of your own world. What? Yeah. Talk to me about that. Like, what, what does that, what does that even mean? Cause I, <laughs> so, I want to rule some things.
1: Right, right. Especially your own world. Well, I believe that we are creative beings, so we can basically create our reality. Um, we just, you know, have limiting beliefs or subconscious wounding and trauma, and that just needs to be shifted. And then you can be a lion. You know, you can rule your own world. And so that's really what I work with people to do is to figure out what we need to rewire, what energy needs to be cleared, and. So that you're in charge of your life and you're not feeling like a victim.
0: I love that. I, I do. I'm picking up some tapping. Are you tapping on a desk? Because I could tell you you're you're a very emotional, uh, <laughs> uh, express, expressive person <laughs> with your hands. We got some Italian. Yes. You, you, uh, you got some Sicilian. You got you got you got bodies. My
1: my roots are Italian. I'm actually half Cuban and half Polish, but my Cuban roots are originally from Italy. So I do talk with my hands all the time.
0: Oh God, <laughs> I, I've I've dated both Polish and Cuban, and uh, and uh, I'm so triggered right now. Uh, I need you to.
1: <laughs>
0: I need hands off the desk, Teresa. <laughs>
1: This is serious business. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, no lion. I need you to be the the lion that naps all day. I feel like that's all (laughs) lions do. Anytime I watch the Discovery Channel, like they always show the lions like, you know, uh, either they're either like in pursuit of of a zebra or they're napping. Like there's no in between. They they have no gray area. They're never just like meandering about or going for a walk.
1: I mean, I feel like that sums me up perfectly. So like one extreme or the other, I'm either napping or I'm trying to conquer the world.
0: Oh, my God. I, I love that. <laughs> do, do you only, do you also only eat like every every couple days? The or I imagine you can't be a grazer if you're a lion.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, you L- have to
0: li- lions are meat eat
1: eaters. when the prey is available. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You know, I love what you said about rewiring the brain because mm-hmm. so many people are experiencing, have experienced uh, trauma. And wait, what were we watching? We were watching. I think we were watching Ozark last night. And I, I'm no spoilers, so don't don't go clicking off, uh, listeners. Uh, but there was a scene, and it was a very innocuous scene. Oh, it was a horse stable, and I had something happen at a horse stable. Nothing crazy. But it was just something that was upsetting, and mm-hmm. I was triggered. I found myself as I'm watching this scene in a horse stable, thinking about it, and I'm like using my breathing techniques and just just breathe. You're you're not. <laughs> it, it's not happening now. You're okay. And uh, it, it, I mean, and, and it worked. But it, it's it's fascinating because when we think of traumas and triggers, uh, or, or triggers for for traumas, we we usually think of like negative triggers like a, a gun or being yelled as something like that. But sometimes it could be like a color or a smell or a song or
1: something, totally.
0: something so innocuous to other people, but to you, it brings back all these memories.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Our memory is triggered by all sorts of stuff. It's, it's nuts. Um, and even, I mean, I'm, I'm a spiritual, I don't know, I guess spiritual counselor <laughs> in that way. Um, and I really believe that, our past lives affect us. Like, I mean, we can really get into it if you want. <laughs> I've seen some shit. So,
0: well, yeah, let's talk about what, because, you know, I, I, to me, people who are in a helping profession, whether you're talking about a psychologist, a personal trainer, social worker, a mm-hmm. uh, life coach, uh, usually they, they've been through war themselves. And, uh, part of their mission is to make sure nobody else experiences, that same war or at least to teach others who are going through that war, how to cope with it and, and thrive and emerge and, and as a lion instead <laughs> of, instead of a lamb. Right. Uh, right. right. What, what's your, what's your backstory?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, what I really teach my clients is that trauma is a spectrum. So, We all experience different trauma, but it's all our perspective of it, really. So, looking back, you know, I had a childhood that was pretty standard, like nothing. Crazy really stood out. Um, and then I started doing memory regression therapy and somatic experiencing and realizing that as a child, I like children are very black and white, right? So I took things a certain way and I made them mean certain things. And, um, you know, on the outside looking in, it's not like I was starving or on the streets or, um, you know, it, my parents were like middle class, you know, it wasn't anything crazy, but there were certain things that happened in my childhood that really shaped my belief system and created behaviors that were definitely not healthy coping mechanisms. So, um, from the age of, I would say 10 on, I had a pretty severe eating disorder. Um, so that's been like a battle ever since then. Really, I would say the last five years is when I actually started to heal that. Um, and there were certain things that i had completely blacked out from my childhood that started coming out in memory regressions and you know it's stuff like that i i literally didn't remember it and I thought I was making it up when I was doing this memory regression. So I really like to teach people like just because you don't remember things from your childhood doesn't mean that things didn't happen. And children are really smart in that way that they have to cope. They have to figure out a way to move on. So they just take themselves out of it and literally black it out. So, you know, I end up talking to a lot of people that have had you know, they're like, Oh, I had, I had a fine childhood. Like it was great. And then we start doing memory regression and all of this stuff comes up and then come to find out through my own spiritual awakening and experiences that have happened to me. Um, our past lives actually affect us as well. And it's stuff that we carry into this lifetime with, and we have to kind of like work through it. And it's the same reason that certain themes show up. So, it's really fascinating once you get into it.
0: You know what I love about what you said. I love a couple of things. I want to unpack a couple of them, uh, but starting with the past lives affect us as well. I was reading this thing about karma, and mm-hmm. he talked about when we think about karma, it's not just our own karma; it's the karma that's attached to the, the your environment. Like your the environment has a karma. Like if there was a battle waged uh, somewhere, like in a city. You know, like like the Civil War, you know, like that was in the South and and you go to those places where where battles have, have been waged and, and wars mm-hmm. have been fought. Uh there's a certain energy there. Uh, you walk into some homes and some homes uh uh just have the sense of peace in it and others have a have a, a certain film or a history you could feel like it there's almost uh like you could touch the air in there. And so you're right when we talk about past lives, like we we are a collection of all the things that have have happened before us and 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 uh, and still happening and unfurling. So I love that you talked about that as well versus this idea that we we create our own thing and we you know, life is what you make it. Yes, to an extent, but uh, we're we're making our life based off what we've been handed and and in. and have, uh, genetically, uh, accumulated. Um, go ahead. Yeah,
1: for sure. And we, we work through generational trauma too. So that's a lot of the stuff that comes up is, um, people things for their parents and the generations before them. And it actually, I mean, so what I've uncovered is there is really no time, right? I know it's kind of a joke, like time is a construct, but it actually really is. And if we can open our minds to feel that everything is occurring at once, when you heal yourself, you are completely changing the trajectory of the past lives before you and the future lives to come. Um, And, I've found out that we will literally heal our parents' traumas when we are working through our own traumas. So I just want people to know how powerful it is to be healing yourself, especially at a time like this. Um, It's like if you're going to focus on doing anything, I know a lot of people want to help other people, but it's like if you can't help other people, just really help yourself and that's going to have such an impact on the collective in a bigger way than people can even imagine
0: absolutely you know I, that's why stories of, of redemption and people overcoming and uh, mm-hmm. overcoming obstacles and healing their traumas uh, uh, it, it gives us hope and it gives us insight yep. as to how to do it and, and and even if we don't get all the way there it, it's all about moving that baton forward so that the next generation can take it a little further and a generation after that it it doesn't always have to happen in one generation, it's, it's, it's a, it's a a momentum, a trajectory, like you said, that, that we want to change it. it, What's always happened doesn't always have to happen. So.
1: uh, Yeah, absolutely.
0: You talked about memory regression therapy. It's enlighten us. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, uh, the form of it that I do is, I mean, it's really similar to hypnosis. Um, so I use the feelings in the body to basically launch you into a past memory. So, um, Like, let's say I have a client come in that's working through something and I would ask them, okay, where do you feel that in your body? Let's say it's sadness. Like, where do you feel that in your body? Let's say they say, I feel it in my chest. It's a tightness in my chest. So I'm actually going to help them pull that feeling in, make it bigger and actually allow it to just take over the body. So it's like, instead of running from a feeling, we actually use the feelings as portals to launch us into a memory. And when you allow that to happen because the body stores memory, It actually, like I said, it kind of opens up a portal and allows you to go back and explore. And like we were talking about earlier, all different ways. So sometimes I'll be like, okay, well, where are you? And they don't see anything, but they can feel a bunch of things in their body. Or maybe they smell something or hear something, you know, and we just kind of follow that and see where it takes us. And then we're able to unpack it. And that's where the rewiring comes in is we actually go back in and re-experience it. And because I'm an energy channel and I can basically process things through people, through myself for people, if they can't do it themselves, my body will start to react. And I'll having like convulsions for the person um, to move the energy through. And then we re experience the memory in that way. So whether it's that they have to re experience it or I re experience it for them. And from there, we can start to paint a picture and create a new truthfully, the brain doesn't know the difference between something that we're creating now and something that happened in the past. And sometimes we need to create that new pathway a few times, you know, it might not be on the first try, but, um, it's, it's really incredible work. I've seen some amazing shifts for people happen regarding physical pain, emotional stuff. It, it, it just, it it's we're quantum beings. So it works on so many different levels.
0: It, it has to be so rewarding to help people shift their traumas like that.
1: Oh my God. It's, I, I can't even believe I'm doing this for a living. It really is incredible.
0: You talked about eating disorders. Uh, and can you tell us more about what was it? Anorexia, bulimia, and can you all kinda, of the above? <laughs> uh, okay. Can you walk us through that? Because I, I think it's one of those things, especially when we haven't mentioned it, but when we talk about suicide, like anorexia is, has, of all the eating disorders, the highest link to suicidality. Yep. And there's so many people who are struggling with an eating disorder and not even aware of it because, uh, you know, like he, And I'm sure as you're going to share, like there's, there's so much hiding and shame and embarrassment and, and nobody really talks about it. It's not a thing that people do in groups. Uh, mm-hmm. So can you talk to us about how it started, what it looked like in the beginning, how it progressed, th- th- those? that Yeah, that
1: whole... absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um what's really interesting about my story is I didn't really learn where it actually came from until I started going the spiritual route and working with psychic healers and energy healers um, because they're able to kind of tap into something that's a little bit different than maybe like a psychologist. So, you know, everybody has their place. I'm definitely saying like, do what works for you. There's nothing better or worse, but that's what I was called to is the more spiritual path. And um, what I found out was that my, eating disorder trauma actually originated from when I was in the womb. And they've actually done a lot of studies to prove that it's, it's a really crucial time, obviously, when you're in the womb and the baby can pick up on things and feel things and the baby's taking on the mother's energy. Um, my mother was going through a really rough time when she was pregnant with me and she was you know, losing a family member. And so she was just going through a lot of grief and wasn't really um, taking care of herself physically. And I was taking on all of that energy as a baby in her womb. So uh, that's where it really originated from. And then getting to be around, I would say seven or eight years old. I was, you know, I was kind of like chubby little kid. I was going through growing. And I got my period really early. I got it when I was, I think, 10 years old, nine years old. Um, And, you know, what happens when girls get their periods, you know, we put on a little bit of weight, our hormones are shifting. And so I didn't look like any of the other little girls at school. And I I had like a very womanly body for a child. So I got made fun of a lot at school. And and looking back in hindsight, I don't remember thinking that I was big at all. I I was kind of like, why are they making fun of me? And I was such an innocent child. I just really didn't know. And then I had a grandmother that was cruel to me and would call me names in front of my whole family. And that just kind of made it worse. And then I started to realize like, oh my gosh, there is something wrong with me. And I would say around 12, 13, I was, you know, I was bigger and I was starting to become aware of the fact that I was bigger than all of the other little girls and I became interested in boys you know I was starting to go through puberty and I could tell that none of the boys liked me and they only liked my friends who were really skinny so I'll never forget it was one summer I had a crush on the boy next door and I felt like he wasn't really noticing me we were friends but I felt like he wasn't really into me and I started to realize like oh my gosh it's because of my size and I started just, I think it was at the time we had magazines and stuff. It was, the internet wasn't really a, a huge thing back then. So I was reading like 17 magazine and you know, they would post workouts in there. And so I just started doing like crunches in my room and my parents had an exercise bike and I started riding that and just, I was like, well, I mean, it seems like all the skinny girls just eat salad. So that's all I'm going to eat. And that was literally all I ate. And I was working out like crazy. And so it was like over a summer, I think I lost like 50 pounds and came back to school for eighth grade, just a different person. And I didn't even realize how much I changed. Um, everybody was just like, holy shit, you look so different, you know? And from then on, it was like, it was almost like a hit. It was like a drug. Every time somebody would compliment me on how I looked, I would, I got addicted to it. And I started getting paranoid that if I don't keep eating and exercising the way I am, that I'm going to get big again and nobody's going to like me. And so it just really sent me on this path. And it was like a roller coaster because so a lot of people that don't appear super, super, super skinny. Cause I would say I, I just kind of looked athletic. I didn't really look like really skinny and unhealthy. So to the outside eye, I didn't look like I had an eating disorder, but you know, my mother was noticing a shift in me and she was always really worried. And it was like, I don't know it, it, anytime that I would starve myself to where I was starting to, Get much smaller, I would kick in the binge eating. So it's a survival mechanism that not all people with anorexia have, but people that end up having binge eating disorder, um, it's their body just basically blocks them out. And you just eat and eat and eat and eat until you've like it, it, it's like a bottomless pit and a lot of people that have it say they don't remember eating and they just feel like they can't stop. And so it's almost like you black out. Um, so that started happening to me and I was just like, I would just eat everything I could get my hands on in the kitchen and then I would make myself so sick that I would literally just want to throw up. Um, and I had had a friend tell me, well, you know, like you don't have to starve yourself. You can just eat and then make yourself throw up. And so it's the best of both worlds. And I was like, totally, that makes sense. So that started around like age 15, maybe. Um, and I didn't really love the whole throwing up thing. So I didn't do it a whole lot, but I would say in my twenties I started drinking and, um, it, it was like easier to throw up if you were really drunk. Right. (laughs) So, it was like all these addictive behaviors started stacking on top of each other. Um, and I started drinking when I was really young. Actually, I started dabbling in it probably when I was like 14, but in my twenties is when it actually got bad because I was 21 and able to go out and whatnot. So yeah, I would just say it was like a domino effect. And then I think when I was like 24, 25, um, it was I had just like this rock bottom wake-up moment where I was like people are gonna start finding out about this and like like when you're when you're bulimic you have all sorts of weird health issues crop up like my stomach and my heart I could feel like my, my, I get chest pains and um, you get like broken blood vessels below your eyes and um, your knuckles get all scratched up and I was just starting to become like really embarrassed and I had roommates at the time and I was just like, oh they're gonna find out. Um, and I don't know what happened, but one day I just kind of stopped and I won't say I completely healed psychologically, but I just stopped the disordered practices. Um, and then I found this book called intuitive eating and that completely changed my life. And I really learned about like diet culture and how, um, how it's really kind of poisonous for us to be, OCD about everything we're putting in our body. So I kind of had to go to the other end of the spectrum for a little while and just dabble in having a healthy relationship with food and eating whatever I want, but still fueling my body with healthy foods, um, which a lot of people that have eating disorders end up needing to just like relax it for a while, you know, and allow themselves to just chill (laughs) because it was like so many years of these crazy thoughts in my head. And, um, I think in the book they call it like the diet police or something. You literally feel like there's this like police officer inside your head. That's telling you what to eat and what you can't eat. And you just feel guilty all the time. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a journey. I would say once I found intuitive eating and then my spirituality, everything, just to make sense, and everything started to heal, and it, it was a process for sure.
0: You know what's fascinating about what you share, Teresa, is at the root of it sounds to me like the 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 root of the eating disorders were a need to belong. Um, because at the at the beginning, and I'll, I bring this up because. When we talk about the the two heads of of suicidality, one is the need to belong, uh, or uh, some people would say a failed belongingness, and then the other is uh, feeling like a burden. And so, mm-hmm. belonging and, and burden those are the those are the the two uh, driving factors. And what got you into the eating disorder? It sound like was the need to belong, like you want to be accepted by. The, the other boys, like you felt like I'd be seen, I'd be one of the cool girls. I'd be attractive if if I were thinner. And then you got to an age where uh, you were embarrassed by your eating disorder and thought that maybe if your roommates found out it, it, it would, you know, they would shame you for it. So this, that same um, thinking about the group and the culture that then seems to propel, propel you out of it.
1: Uh, Totally. I would totally agree with that. Yeah.
0: The, when you say intuitive eating, uh, helped to pull you out of it, that book, which I'm going to link to in the show notes, what were some of the basic principles in intuitive eating that you remember? Or what, what did it, what did it speak to in you? What did you take away from that?
1: Yeah so there I mean anybody can just google it principles of intuitive eating there's 10 basic principles um and I can't really remember any of them off the top of my head but my big takeaway was just to really allow yourself to eat whatever you want and to stop monitoring yourself and to not judge yourself about your choices. So you can really just be like, what do I feel like eating today? I'm not going to eat the thing that I'm telling myself to eat. I'm going to eat what I actually am craving. And the psychology behind it is really that it's kind of like um, like a rebellious teenager. When you tell yourself over and over again that you're not allowed to have something and it's not okay to desire that, you end up wanting it later. And it almost creates this feeling of like heightening that want and that desire. But if you're just to give it to yourself, then it actually kind of like puts out the fire. So at first I went a little crazy with it. Like I went and bought all my favorite foods that I hadn't eaten since I was a child because I was like... You know, when I would when I would binge, I would even binge on like healthy food, you know, um, for a period of time. And so, I had really transferred. I would say after like age eighteen or nineteen, I kind of translated into orthorexia, which I don't know if you've heard of, but it's really just being obsessed with like thinking things that are poisonous and da da da. And so, it had. It, it shifted to a different kind of eating disorder that wasn't as obvious as like throwing up or starving yourself. Um, it was still wanting to have control of something though, which is also a root cause of it is needing to have control. So really just allowing myself to eat what I was craving and, you know, whether it was like Oreos or a hamburger or, just anything. Um, and then I started to figure out like, I'm actually craving like fruit and vegetables and healthy foods. I just wasn't judging anything I was craving at all. So after a while, um, and they have you go through like, it's like a 10 step process basically. So it's very strategic in the steps and you're supposed to do each thing in order. So I think they call it gentle nutrition. It's not till an, it's not until like maybe step seven or eight. So it's almost like the end of it when you really start to kind of reintroduce the idea of fueling yourself um, from a place of loving your body and from a place of health. Um, So a lot of people that look up intuitive eating. I think they're afraid that they're just going to go crazy and just want to eat junk food forever. And yeah, that definitely happens for a period of time, but it was pretty short for me because I quickly realized like, Oh, my body doesn't feel very good when I I'm just eating like cookies and pizza all the time. So my body would start craving, you know, vegetables and healthier options. And I would notice the shift in how I felt. And so it was kind of like relearning how to eat again, which was a really interesting experience.
0: You know, I I love what you talked about when you said, uh, you know, relearning how to eat again, because that is what's happening, because how we're eating is based off of, like you said, what you read in magazines, what you think what you think your friends are doing, uh, what your parents and and society has encouraged us uh, to do. Um, But I also want to I want to unpack that that when you said the need to have control. Can you unpack that a bit more?
1: Yeah, I think as a child, I experienced a lot of situations where I felt very out of control, whether it be at school or, you know, even in my home life. And I, I realized pretty early on in life that I was quite the control freak. Um, My mom even tells this story about me, like at the school that I went to, I went to like a really uh, progressive elementary school and they didn't even have grades there. They would give you like smiley faces on your report card. Um, but I remember they were having us like sound out words and they weren't telling us how to spell it. And I was getting so frustrated. I was literally like screaming at my mom that I wanted to spell it the correct way. And I think I was maybe six or seven years old because she just kept saying sound it out. It's okay if you don't do it right. Like, da da da. and so ever since I was really little, I've had issues with control. Um, so yeah, it, it just started becoming like, as you get older, um, and I kind of coach my clients through this, but most of your foundational traumas happen between the ages of one and eight. It's just when the subconscious is the most open. So you're, that's why children are such sponges. Um, so I've really had to work through just like little traumas that I had as a child and, figure out where that need for control has come from. And of course it always, it always goes into past lives and all of that. There's always themes around certain things going on.
0: I love that. I just found the 10 principles of intuitive eating. They are reject the diet mentality, honor your hunger, make peace with food, challenge the food police, respect Mm -hmm. your fullness, discover the satisfaction, honor your feelings, respect your body, move your body, honor your health. And once again, those links will be in the, the the link will be in the show notes uh, to the book intuitive eating.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it, I, I really say I owe that book my life (laughs) because I don't know what I would have done had I not found it. And it's not for everybody, but if you're resonating with anything I'm saying, um, then look it up because it's just, it's incredibly helpful. And I really like how they guide you back to, you know, respecting your body and, um, practicing gentle nutrition with yourself. So they're not just saying like eat cake and candy all the time. (laughs) You know, it's, um, it really is, it's a process. It's, it's an unraveling process.
0: Uh, can we go into the, uh, the structure that, uh, maybe you have set up as a life coach? I don't know if you have a structure, but do you you have a, a basic, uh, formula that you take your clients through?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if you've heard of human design, but that's what I use as a foundation for all of my clients. So it's a system that's basically like astrology on crack. (laughs) So it's astrology, the Kabbalah, the I Ching and the chakra system all into one. And basically you just give me your birth information and I'm able to look up this chart and they call it a body graph. And they break it into five different energy types. And so basically we're all different with how our energy operates and how we manifest and how we respond to the universe and how we interact with others, what we're taking in, what we're putting out. And so I've really found that when I, when I got into coaching, um, I was like, you can't have like a cookie cutter program for everybody because we we're all so different. And I had been studying human design for a little while already, and I'm like, well, this is it. Like this is the foundation. So. I'd already been doing readings for people and telling them all about their charts, just like somebody would do with an astrologer, because uh, it's it's really complicated when you look at it. It does, doesn't make any sense unless you've studied it. And I was finding that I was getting so lit up and excited to talk to people about their charts and just being like, look, we're all meant to be different. We're all meant to like engage differently with the world. And this is why some people function this way. And every single person that I would tell about their chart, they would just be like, I feel like you actually see me. Like I feel so understood and nothing has ever made more sense to me. And these are people that aren't into quote unquote woo woo stuff, you know? So it just, it makes sense. And I feel like when people recognize truth, you can feel it in your body and you might not know why it resonates so hard, but it just does so i was like this stuff is going to change the world <laughs> so i started using it um so in human design they call it deconditioning because basically the whole theory is you're born perfect and exactly the way that you need to be and then society and cl- our culture and everything conditions you into out of your true nature so the deconditioning process in human design is all about uncovering how your soul is supposed to actually in- interact with the world and what your purpose is and your energetic gifts and um, what your aura is communicating with the world without you even knowing. So it's like, you're powerful without you even knowing this is going on energetically without you even saying anything. Um, like, you know, people use the word vibe a lot now, like people are starting to become a lot more sensitive to energy. You walk into a room, you can pick up on the vibe, but you were talking about earlier, like certain spaces, you can just feel the energy of it. Um, and so, yeah, that's really what I use as a foundation. I, I'll take somebody through their chart and really lay it out for them. And we go through finding their purpose. That's really what I specialize in is helping people figure out what exactly it is that they want to do. And um, then from there, we go through the deconditioning process, really shedding those layers, um, unblocking these subconscious beliefs, doing any energy healing that we need to do. I, I really use a lot of different modalities to try to get somebody to shift forward. So, yeah.
0: I love that. I want to unpack two things. Um, one is, uh, we're going to backtrack a little bit because you talked about uh, the need to control. What mm-hmm. what are the things that you do now when you feel a loss of of control and I I would imagine there's some anxiety wrapped up in that
1: oh yeah oh yeah um I've really learned how to have conversations with myself (laughs) so what I've learned through my work is that you know we kind of all have multiple personalities right we all have tons of parts within us and different aspects within us so I will literally have a conversation with the part of me that wants to have control. And it really diffuses the situation pretty quickly because once you realize it's just a part of you and that part of you needs something, you can actually just uncover that need and fulfill it. So if the, if the part of me that wants to have control, let's just say, for example, it's an inner child aspect of me that is five years old and is somehow being triggered, um, I'm able to be like, Hey, like, I love you. What, what, what it is that, what is it that you need? Do you need physical affection? Do you need some rest? You know, need, to talk to somebody. And then, then from there, I can just figure out what that need is. Um, There are some, you know, some things that you can do at home that have just really helped. Like I I do yoga, I mean, meditation, um, like binaural beats, any of that kind of stuff can really be helpful if you're in a moment where you're having anxiety because you feel like you're losing control.
0: Uh, You know, the binaural beats is something that I, I used to study to and it's the only thing I can listen to while I'm reading, studying, or trying to get work done. It's so Same. soothing. It's the, it's, it's the,
1: amazing.
0: It's better than like, I try classical music, but the problem with classical music is you never know when the crescendo is gonna hit. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like it can yeah, be totally. like three minutes of just like the most peaceful, calming flute or violin or whatever. And then there's a bomb, bomb. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> Like man, totally. I, I was so zen. But like with that binaural, it, it's so soothing, and there are oh, uh, so good. Different playlists on Spotify, and you can find them on uh, YouTube. Uh, so th- it's it's easily accessible. But uh, I love I love the binaural. Uh, but you you talked about like body work and movement uh, in, in terms of getting into the bike. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I was, I started out helping people as a fitness coach. So like movement was actually like my foundation of everything. Um, and I, I still do actually teach Pilates classes as well. So I know how impactful movement is. And I got into yoga. I, I was a little late to the game. I, I, I would say I took my first classes when I was around like 15 and I was into it, but then I, you know, being a teenager, I just kind of dropped off. And then, um, in November this year, actually I had a friend that who's a, she's a psychic healer and she recommended that I do a yoga. So it's a very specific practice and it's definitely really good for people that are more type A that have busy minds <laughs> because you do the same practice every single day. And they teach you one pose at a time. So when I was first going, my practice was only like 15, 20 minutes long and you memorize your practice. So it's not a lead class. You go in and you just do your practice and you get stuck on certain poses. So right now I'm, I'm stuck on this pose. that's like a, it's a bind pose. So um, you just, you work away at it every day and it just kind of, you start to unravel. And as you're doing that, you're clearing energy. You're getting to know your body on a different level. You're learning to, you know, balance your mind and learning to pay attention to your thoughts. And there's so much going on at once, but it has really like launched me into dealing with, um, My anxiety on a different level. And a lot of addicts are actually drawn to it for that reason is just because the practice itself can be kind of addicting. Um, the Ashtanga yogis that take it really seriously, usually practice six days a week. And once you've learned the whole series, it's a 90 minute practice. So you're, you're thinking 90 minutes, six days a week. So it can be pretty intense, but, um, it's, I mean, I recommend it for anybody who maybe didn't like going to the more flowy yoga classes. Um, or who has a really busy mind and is kind of type A, it's really good for those types of people.
0: Oh, so is it because you're holding it for so long? Is that why it's good for type A's or what, what makes yeah. it appealing?
1: Yeah. So you hold each pose for five breaths. So the well, the point of the five breaths is to really help your body relax and just like let go. And then you start to realize like, oh, when I stop, when I stop like, holding myself and fighting it and I just let go like it becomes a lot easier and then everything in yoga is a metaphor for life <laughs> so it's like oh when i stop fighting things <laughs> and just let go it's it's actually easy <laughs> so yeah and i would say it's it's addicting just because they do teach you one pose at a time and then you get stuck And so like the pose that I'm working on now, I've been stuck on it for like a month and a half. And you're like, oh, if I just move my foot this way or if I just move this way, I'll be able to get it. And you just it it kind of becomes addicting wanting to get to the next pose. And um, the feeling afterwards is like you feel high afterwards. So,
0: yeah, yeah, anytime, you know, when I've done a Bikram yoga Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's a that's 90 minutes and. Uh, and you're holding the poses. I don't know for how many exhales. I don't I don't know what the but you you're doing, like you said, you're doing the same uh flow every single time. Nothing changes. And yep. uh but it it never gets easier.
1: Some <laughs> days
0: are easier than others, but it's it's never like, oh, I've done this a million times. It's always like, I hope my body shows up today. Like you yep. just have no idea what's That's gonna true. happen.
1: That's exactly right. And I really, um, you know, I've noticed that, that it's just like get yourself to the mat. It's going to be a different experience every time and that's OK. And it's that's what they call it a practice. Right.
0: What uh, besides the the Ashtanga yoga, what, what else are you doing to, um, I don't know, ground yourself?
1: So nature is really helpful for grounding. Um, I live in Phoenix, so the weather's beautiful right now, and it's about to get real hot. So I've definitely been outside as much as I can, and it's, it's pretty nice here, I would say, nine months out of the year. So you know, just walking outside, putting your feet in dirt in the grass, um, just connecting to the earth um, and just being present with you know, hearing the birds and all of that. I would say nature is a really quick way to ground yourself.
0: I love walking on grass. It is mm-hmm. an underrated form of therapy. Being outside. Like, I remember I did a cruise ship and there was this group of uh, old uh, Asian women, I want to say from Korea, and every morning, like clockwork, they'd be up at like 5, 5.30 doing like 90 minutes of Tai Chi. Wow! And, and it, it, I thought about it because when I was working out this morning, you know, I'm like, I'm like activating my glutes. I got the bands and then I was like, yeah, I'm gonna grab some kettlebells. And I'm like, man, these old ass Asian ladies been doing this slow movement for centuries mm-hmm. and will will probably, and, and like not sweating, you know, they not like, they're not straining themselves. They just got this night. Nice, they got this, this calm smile on their face. And I'm like, why is it that we as Americans have to feel like we have to strain through everything (laughs) to get something out of it? Like, it's like Asian people just kind of like just kind of walk through life with their hands behind their back. And I'm just, (laughs) and I'm like, I got to (laughs) get one more rep. And it's just, so it's just, it's fascinating. But I bring it up because I know you study Reiki. Now, what? Where did Reiki come from? Is that? Is that India? Is that?
1: Chinese. It's Japanese.
0: Japanese. So, yep. talk to us about that and, and and how how you use that to unlock trauma.
1: Yeah. So, Reiki has really evolved for me. Actually, um, it was my first experience with a spiritual practitioner, and my mom used to actually do it on me when I was little. My mom's always been really into spirituality and um, thinking outside the box when it comes to physical pain and. He's always talking about energy and everything. So I definitely had seeds planted when I was little to get into this kind of work. Um, but it was my first, like, real spiritual experience, I would say, for myself, you know, outside of, like, being raised in church and stuff like that. Um, but Reiki is truly, uh, it's, it's basically the practitioner channels healing energy from the universe and just uses it to shift energy within your body. So if you have stagnant energy or um, blockages, then the Reiki can help heal that. Um, But it's been interesting because I learned it And I did all three levels. And then I had the opportunity. I was actually supposed to do my master teacher training like the week after this whole thing with the virus started. (laughs) So the universe had other plans for me. Um, So I actually one of my friends who's a very gifted psychic healer has developed. It's a little bit different now because it's more of a creational process. Whereas the Reiki that I've experienced has more been just the practitioner, like laying their hands on you or the practitioner, quote unquote, doing something to you. Whereas now it's a very co-creational process with the person. So I'll, pull energy out. And then together we are able to transmute it. So it's like, okay, what is this made out of? Um, What do you want to create out of this? So energy can't be created or destroyed. So instead of just kind of like moving things around and channeling the healing energy through, um, we're actually taking the energy that's been stuck and creating something else with it. So it's, it's really beautiful.
0: Uh, You know, I've had Reiki done and it is a beautiful thing because I, part of it, I realized that the psychological part is to feel like someone else is uh, taking care of you. Yeah. Like, right. There's something cool. soothing about that. I, I, I think it's why women get mani pedis. It's like, <laughs> it's like I've been, I've been doing, like when I talk to my, my female friends are married with kids. Like their whole day starts with e- taking care of everybody else. And, yep. and so when they, when they go to the beauty salon or, Get their get their hair and nails done. Uh They're like, finally, somebody uh, sees me and is taking care of me, you know. And I, and Reiki, uh for me, feels like that, or any type of of healing work or body work or even going yeah. to acupuncture. It's like it's good to let somebody else have control. It's a control thing. To, to it totally is,
1: yeah. And some people, you know, there are different blocks to healing. I've found out like even with uh, physical pain and physical ailments, um, we'll have different blocks to it. So we when I when I see we're creational beings, like we're in charge of our healing too. And just because you're going to do something, you know, you hear these stories of people that just don't get better and they try everything and oh I've had this back pain my entire life. And and it's I've had people that are literally like they don't accept healing from others and that's a block. So how can I help heal them if they're not accepting it? And somewhere along the lines, they learned like I can't accept healing or maybe I'm not good enough for this or I don't deserve to heal. So that's just kind of what it made me think of is it's allowing your walls to come down and allowing somebody to actually help you.
0: Well, I I think that, you know, people believe that. like, you, you, there's a point where, like, you're just absolutely cured, like, uh, and I yeah. think that's where the hopelessness comes in, is that feeling of, well, oh, I, I did all the work. I, I did what she said to do, and I was meditating, and I, and I still have these feelings, and uh, I think the misperception is that we, we completely get rid of uh, all the hurt, all the trauma, all the pain, but, but that means we're dead, Like if we don't feel anything, like, so we don't (laughs) want to get to that place. It's about breathing, learning to breathe through the feelings and sit in it and accept it and talk to it versus, uh, never seeing it again. That's, that's, that's kind of how we treat life. It's like, we broke up. I don't want to hear from you again. Like we want to block people, block feelings, black block, um, you know, anything that could disturb our world that, you know, we're trying to create.
1: A hundred percent. And I love that you say that because that's, you know, something that I've kind of learned through yoga too, is we judge everything. And pain is even something that we're judging when all it really is, is an experience. And it's actually trying to tell you something. Um, our bodies are always trying to help us. So that's what I've really found with like physical pain is, you know, I'll have somebody come in that's had like migraines their entire life. And I'm like, yeah, your body's trying to be it's trying to get your attention. You know, there's something that is unhealed there. There's something that it's leading you to. So it's it's really interesting once we stop judging the experience. And like you said, just breathe into it, accept it and talk to it, actually see what it has to say. It totally shifts things.
0: I mean, it's why the Buddhists go up into the mountains for days and why artists <laughs> go woodshedding. You know, woodshedding is where artists will go off into a shed for a month or a few months just to see what what pops up, see what's in there and see what they can create and kind of tinker and, and play with uh, their creativity. Uh, you know, just this morning, um, you know, I sat down to meditate for 20 and as I'm meditating, I'm getting images of the exercises I need to do to take care of my body for that day.
1: I love that,
0: you know, and so to, and I'm, I've learned to be more intuitive with my training. Uh, I'm still working on it with my eating. But with the movement, I've, I've been much more adaptive and fluid and open to listening to my body and, uh, and kind of going with the flow and trusting that it's going to guide me in the right direction.
1: Oh, that is so good! You're learning to listen to your intuition. Look at you.
0: <laughs> now, I wasn't listening to my intuition when I had those uh, banana nut muffins this morning, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I never got a hundred percent on my test either. So, you know,
1: but, so that's intuitive eating, right? <laughs> you, you had a desire.
0: <laughs> that's right, and and I was aware of it. I mean, I, to yeah. me, that's the beautiful part. Is, is 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 like you were talking about how when you're anorexic and bulimic. Uh, you know, you go into these states where you don't even remember what you ate or threw up, or or it was almost like you're you're so out of control. And um, I've I've learned and uh, to be more aware of when I'm out of control and and seeing it and being mm-hmm. like I can't believe I'm going in for another one, but but I'm I'm completely aware uh, of what's happening. But there there are moments where and then afterwards, what's fascinating is. To me, that's where the, um, the juice is, is after the, the binge eating or, or the whatever habit that you have, your body, if you sit in it for a second, it, when you're sitting in the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment, your body will tell you what you really wanted. Be like, I did, oh, I didn't really want that. I just really wanted a hug. <laughs> or I just really yeah. wanted to take a nap. Like That's the stuff you have to write down. You'd have to mm-hmm. capture that. So you remind yourself, I, I don't know if you had that experience, you know, what, yeah. uh, like the clarity came after the confusion.
1: A hundred percent. It's like, that's where the whole unmet needs thing comes from. Right. It's like, that's actually not what I wanted. I just wanted comfort, and it and they actually walk you through that in intuitive eating. Like, how are some other ways that you can comfort yourself? And it's really about the mentality behind it. Um, it's not. It's never actually about the food. Just like it's never actually about the drug or whatever vice of choice you have. It's it's about the root underlying cause.
0: You're in a relationship now. Yeah, I'm married. You're married. Okay. Um, Yeah. How long you been married?
1: I've been married for two and a half years. We've been together for 10 years on and off.
0: And oh, oh, uh, it's so tough to have a relationship now. Like on on and off, I feel like is the norm. When people get married straight through, I'm like, hmm.
1: Mm, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Totally. Totally. Well, we actually met when we were 13. So he's seen me through everything. We met in middle school. So we were friends all through high school. Started dating at the very beginning of college, which is not the best time to start dating. Um, And I think we dated for like two years of college. And then I'm you know, I'm such a free spirit. I was like, I want to experience the world and not be held back, you know? And so apparently relationships were holding me back. (laughs) Um, but really I just wanted to like go bar hopping and do whatever I wanted. So yeah, we actually stayed friends though. Every time we broke up, we would still be friends. And yeah, we broke up several times. It was like, um, I would date some asshole and then realize that, (laughs) that my, that Thomas that's his name was, actually the the one for me. And I kept doing that over and over again until finally it was actually when I started healing from my eating disorder that I was able to have a healthy relationship because, um, the thing was, is that my now husband was probably the healthiest relationship that I had had. And I kept attracting these guys that had issues too, because I had issues and I would want to try to fix them. And I really needed to be fixing myself. <laughs> so Once I could once I started healing, I was actually ready to have something healthy and good for me and wasn't attracted to those types of guys anymore. So,
0: you know, I find that people who are who date people that they can, quote unquote, fix uh, it's it's usually to distract from the work they need to do on themselves. Is that when you look back, is that what was happening?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. And it was like, it's so funny thinking back because all the guys that I dated were clearly trying to mirror stuff to me. And that's why I was attracted to them was because um, they were mirroring what I needed to fix within myself. And, you know, the last guy I was with, we both had like alcohol problems. And that was something that I was not addressing. I was, I was a person that was like low key alcoholic, you know, like oh, I can just have like five drinks every night. That's not that's not that much. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, no, that's actually not normal. (laughs) Um, But that was my biggest gripe with him was I was always saying I hated how he drank so much, but I wasn't willing to look at my own drinking issues. Um, So, yeah, I would say you're dead on with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, because we we do project on other people what's really going on with us. We, We point out that flaw or whatever in them so that, you know, they don't see what's happening in us. What did you have? Did you do any relationship work before you guys got married?
1: Yeah. um, You know, we're still working through it. We always are. It's kind of how it is once you get married. But um, we definitely I mean, just because of the work that I do now, he ends up getting coached sometimes because I can't leave my work at the door. It's just, it's what I embody all the time now. So I've had to kind of lead him a little bit in that way to get curious about his own trauma and, um, you know, any issues that we've had in our relationship, but I really feel like we're such a team. And I think that's, what's so important to remind ourselves of, especially when you're married is it's not, you versus the other person it's the two of you versus the problem and that's the way you have to look at it is like we're a team we're gonna face this problem together no matter what like it's and you know if you end up having to uncouple because you end up just it not it's not a good thing anymore then I completely respect that too um I don't believe in like no divorce or whatever. It's, it's all what's right for the people. And sometimes relationships do have expiration dates, but, um, I, we've been through so much together. It's, he's truly just my my perfect partner. So. I
0: love that. I love that idea of it's, it's not you. It's not the two of you versus each other. It's, uh, two of you versus the problem because the, the problem is not, uh, each person individually it the, it's, there's something going on in the relationship that needs to be addressed not in each other that that needs to be totally. addressed there's a dynamic taking place
1: Yeah, totally. And then it's like, you can get curious together. I always say that to him. Like if I have an issue with him, I'm like, okay, so this is what I'm making this mean. And I've learned to be very careful with the words that I say, because the words that you speak are so incredibly powerful, especially in relationship because people can misconstrue things. So I'm always very, very clear to say, you're not doing this but this is what i am taking your behavior as and i'm making it mean this can you actually tell me what you really mean you know or can we have a conversation about why i'm feeling this way and and or i recognize that this trigger is because of childhood and um you know it's it's interesting because i have learned that my husband is a lot like my father <laughs> in like his work ethic and that kind of thing and i remember one day i like had this realization i'm in my car driving and i had this realization that he, my husband does the same thing my father would do when i was a kid which my dad would bring his work home and then he'd be like working on his computer the whole night and wouldn't play with us because he had stuff to get done and i understand that but like thinking back as a kid and my husband's a very talented musician and we have a studio at our house and on his days off, like he'll just be in the studio all day working on music and, I like came home and literally walked in the door and I'm crying and he's like, what's wrong? <laughs> I'm like, I just, I married my father. Like, <laughs> got this whole realization and, but we got to talk about that and unpack it together. And that's really what an adult relationship feels like. It's like, okay, I can work through my inner child bullshit with you and you're not going to judge me and you're going to hear me out and understand. And then we can work through it to make changes together.
0: I love that, especially the part about when you said, "Let's get curious together."
1: Yeah, you know, let's
0: explore this. Um, you know, sometimes, like even in my relationship now, I've learned to say, "Did you mean that?" Mm. Because it's it's a recognition that what people say to each other, um, it's they're not people aren't intentionally tr- trying to hurt you. Most of the time, unless like, you know, I I mean, you'll know when somebody's I I think you would know when somebody's really, really trying to hurt you. But a lot of the things that we're saying and doing is unconscious and and just uh, out of habit or we had a long day or didn't sleep the night before and uh, or whatever. And so I've learned instead of I used to get defensive or put a wall up or shut down. And now I've learned to say, did you mean that? And nine times out of ten you know she'll say no every now and again she'll be like yeah I did and then we'll have a conversation about it but Mm. I I used to shut down and walk away so I love that you said let's get curious together let's explore it let's let's find out what's going on in here Uh, so we're not just making assumptions about what's been said and done
1: yeah yeah I mean that's Relationships in this day and age where we're we're more woke and we're more conscious. And um I feel like if you want to have a fulfilling, meaningful relationship, you have to be willing to get vulnerable and go to those dark places together,
0: Teresa, is there anything uh, that we haven't talked about that you want to share with the <laughs> listeners about finding their purpose, about you know, unlocking the trauma?
1: Yeah, I would say. You know, the most important thing is to find something that lights you up and that gets you excited for life, because that is the biggest thing that I see when people come to me is they've just like, it's almost like they've done everything they were told their entire lives and they're super successful by American standards, but they're just not feeling fulfilled. And what's most important is like what did you enjoy as a child? what What is it that you are naturally good at that other people maybe aren't good at and something that comes totally easy to you and something that you want to spend all of your free time looking up and studying and learning about. Um, those are all cues from the universe, from your soul that that's what you're meant to be doing. And so I would just really encourage everybody to get curious about what would actually bring them fulfillment so that they don't end up just in a place where you're kind of looking back at your life. Like what happened? Like, where did, where did things go wrong? So yeah, that's kind of my closing statement.
0: <laughs> plug all your things, Teresa. Where can people find you shamelessly? Um, uh, plug all
1: of it. <laughs> I will. So, um, I am at Teresa Brennaman with two A's in the middle on Instagram. And then my website is how to be a I also have a podcast called the be a lion podcast. I'll have to have you on it sometime. <laughs> absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, and that's all my then, stuff. Uh, last question that I ask of all my, listen, uh, of all my guests, because I always imagine that there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Teresa? I
1: would say we need you because every person in this world has a role to play. And you're here for a reason. And we need you.
0: Teresa. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Remember, listeners, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you going to get a coach, an intuitive coach, uh, going to counseling, calling away a hundred number. All those numbers, all the help numbers are listed in the show notes, whether you're in America or Dubai, there's international numbers. There are text messages, there are online, all the things, all the things you need. There are free services available to you to get help. There are books. Check out the, there'll be a link to uh, Intuitive Eating in the show notes. Uh, And then if you want one-on-one coaching with yours truly, Leo Flowers, go to thrivewithleo.com. Let's get to tomorrow together. And with that said, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Leo.
0: Thanks, Teresa.
1: Bye.